and welcome to 10 Very Big Books, a Malazan read-through podcast. My name is Peter Bond, and I've read each book in the main series. However, my co-hosts are reading the series for the first time. With me today is my friend and closest confidant, India Jones. Hello. How's the watermelon, Inge? It's good. It's good. It's satisfying. And our producer, AJ Flaherty, is with us. How are the levels? How are the bars? The levels are looking great, especially on India's watermelon eating sounds. I'm not eating oh, it. Perfect. I'm not even eating it. I'm She's suckling. holding it like a prop. <laughs> and he's, uh, and last but not least, he's begrudgingly accepted the title of Fist. It's Joshua Baker. You know, fun fact, I've always been more of a cantaloupe kind of guy. I have never really enjoyed watermelon, but like, I'll fuck a cantaloupe up right now. <laughs> you heard it here first. Mean. Josh Baker will fuck a cantaloupe. Josh said he's going to fuck a cantaloupe. I, said, <laughs> I, said, <laughs> I fucking That's ate all of you. That's you just said, Josh. <laughs> I'm not gonna lie. This is the show where we sometimes talk to New York Times best-selling author Stephen Erickson, and also talk about Josh fucking just loves. He just loves the curvy melons. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my god! (laughs) Fucking hate. Today on the show, we're talking about House of Chains, chapters five, six, and seven. Uh, We've left the big Carsa opening behind, and we're catching up with everybody else on Seven Cities. I'm excited to get into it. I'm not. I'm excited to get out of it. sucked. Like, Inge, we're going to disagree so hard, because I know you texted to the group that, but like, these chapters absolutely ruled. I'm on cloud nine over here, loving loving this house of chains. Yeah, I also like these chapters. (laughs) They were fine. All right. Well, let's talk about them more in depth. Uh... Chapter five is super long. Does anyone read the summary? Can I read the summary? No, because, oh, yeah. Oh, my get gosh. In there. Oh, AJ? What? I want fucking, to... fucking get in get there in like there. swimwear, it's buddy. A great day. Let's get it going. Chapter five. In Aaron, Gamut has been named Fist. The former house guard captain is working with Commander Blistig to track down the archer Squint. They find the archer drunk in a tavern. They talk about the slaughter of Coltane in the front of the city. Gamut plans to have Squint cleaned up. Blistig tries to mock Gamut, but the Fist puts him down and informs him the adjunct Tavor has called a command meeting that night. Fiddler draws close to Aaron. However, he is leaving his old life behind and taking a new name, Strings. He meets the noble-born Lieutenant Rannell, and they argue. Soon, he meets Korik. They speak of Admiral Nock, the chain of dogs, and the situation in Seven Cities. Lestari Yil waits in a bar after receiving a mysterious message. The Red Blades have been freed and serve the new adjunct. The Claw Pearl soon arrives, asking Lestara to accompany him on a secret mission. She is skeptical, and they set off to find out more. Gamut waits with the others for Tavor. The group is Admiral Nock, Commander Blistig, and the Red Blade Commander, Tene Peralta. Tavor arrives and unceremoniously dispatches three orders. First, Blistig and Peralta will both serve as fists for the army. She waits to give Nock his orders, and the commanders leave. Second, she calls upon the Wiccan. Nil and Nether join the army to serve as Tavor's mages, and the young Tamul will lead the Wiccan as bodyguards for the adjunct. Third, she meets with Pearl and the Starry Yil. Away from the Empress's eyes, she teases Pearl with the idea of finding the Talon. She gives them clues and then tells Pearl to dispose of them. She asks them to find her sister, Felicin. Gamut recalls the day of the noble Cull in Unta. He dismissed the house guards besides the Talon, Bowden. Gamut commands Bowden to protect Felicin and follow her to the Otetaro mines. Bowden sets off to wake Felicin. Pearl and Lestara Yil are left alone. They speak about their mission. Pearl hopes to reveal the Talons and carry favor with the Empress and the Imperial Claw. Lestara is hesitant, but can't get out. She agrees to go on the mission. Tavor and Gamut meet with the Admiral Nock. Together, they discuss the Emperor, his old guard, and what comes of the Napan Admiral. They talk for a while about Imperial history and how Lacine has shattered that old guard. Then Tavor leaves to find to Amber. 
Strings will serve under Captain Keneb, under Fist Gamut. He then meets up with Korik and his new squadmates, Smiles, Bottle, and Tar, who Strings names as his corporal. Fiddler then encounters Stormy and Gessler, they recognize they both served in the Old Empire. Together, the soldiers go off to trade stories. We're back in Aaron with Adjunct Devor and the 14th Army, and we catch up with a lot of different people and what's going on there. But it starts with the new fist, Gamut who was the old Perrin guardhouse captain, and now he's uh, Tavor's brought him along and promoted him. Um, and we first meet him as he's out in the city with Blistig trying to find Squint, the archer who killed Coltane. Uh, India, what was your impression of Gamut, and how did you feel being back with the Malazan army? I felt upset. They bore the shit out of me. Um, Inge, no. <laughs> I know, I know. Gamut. Did we meet this person before? Nah, brand new character. Wow, that name sounds familiar AF. So he has been obliquely mentioned as them of having a nap and guard before, but you wouldn't have known. So remembered that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, no. yeah. Um, so who? So first, I have a question because I forgot and I didn't know their name and I feel like I should know this. Who is the person who was like, no, we're not leaving the gates. Like, we're just going to let them all die. Oh, that's oh, not grell. Uh, yeah, I would love if real quick, if we could do a quick recap, because I was also struggling. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, because I so, then I was like, maybe it's this bliss, bliss, cre- I don't even know. What so, it okay, so can I try? Can I try? Sure, yeah, you give fill it a shot. Gaps? Okay. You're talking about going over the events of Coltane slaughter outside of Aaron. Correct. And towards the end of Deadhouse Gates, when Coltane's approaching, okay? So, Dewicker and a few guys had gotten into the city. Mm-hmm. With they the refugees. With the refugees. So they want to go sally forth and save the group, but they are stopped by, if I remember correctly, High Fist Pornqual? Yes. He and was he currently was being, the fist. He was the current oh. fist then, and he was being advised by Malik Corral, yes? Indeed. And did we know any... What I can't remember is, I know what we find out later, but who was Malik Corral supposed to be? Was he just a guy? Is he, he, was he a source? You'll rem- uh, at the very beginning of Deadhouse Gates, Malik Corral is there with the council, and then Colton oh, kind of spurs yes. him and is rude to him. And Malik Rell is kind of, uh, he's there and he's not with other people. He's just supporting the rebellion. He's kind of playing his okay. own game. You know? Okay. And so at the end, and then they go out to Corbolo Dom, mm-hmm. who is the renegade fist. Yeah. Pornqual orders everyone to put their swords down and they yeah. all get killed. Now, Pornqual gets killed too. Yes. Pornqual dies there. Malik Rell does or doesn't die there? No, Malik Rell goes and he goes off to Raraku and we'll talk about him in chapter seven. Thank you. That's what I was trying to remember. Okay, Blistig is the leader of the group of guards that Duwicker convinced to turn back and close you, the gates. You'll, yeah, you'll recall when they're watching Coltane slaughter, Blistig's up on the wall and yes. uh, Duwicker notes that he's the only one that is there that's kind of like, this is, he's outraged yeah, yeah, that yeah. they're not doing anything. And he's like, we should go out, but he is being stopped by High Fist Pornqual and Malik Rell, and because he's the commander of the Aaron Guard. And now when they sally forth, and he's the one that gets sent back by Duerker, right? Duerker's like, this doesn't make sense, go back? Yeah, I think so. Okay. Cool. I, yeah, yeah, I, 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 yeah, I, uh, maybe, yeah. Okay, okay. Okay. I, that's um, all I had too, India. I was really struggling. That's how, I, no, that's I, it. That's what I needed. I got, I always get Corvalo Dom and Malik Rell and the third one. I, I never remember who's who. It's annoying, too, because I'm scared to, like, fact check myself. Yes, yes, dangerous um, stuff. But yeah, okay. So yeah, that makes sense then, because they were giving, like, a, a, as, as Steve does, uh, an excruciating amount of fucking detail about these two men. <laughs> um, and I was like, I thought, we, I thought we knew them already, but okay, makes sense. We didn't. Why is one of them kind of crazy? Bliss, bliss. Blistig's got a lot of pent-up rage, and I think it's just because of oh. that he had to witness <laughs> that slaughter, yeah, and he yeah. kind of was unable to. Oh, it's rage. Okay. Yeah. All right. Um. So I was confused to be back and unhappy because I don't like them. They're, they, it's, just, it's, it's boring to me. Um, and so this whole chapter was like, I, I, as I mentioned to you guys, I would like read a paragraph and then complain in the group chat and then read a paragraph and then go on my Instagram. Um, so, uh, you were, you were immersed in the world of fantasy. It was hard for me to get through this. So, okay, okay. yeah. So I thought that they were, I don't know. They were just 
normal characters disinterested i have no thoughts i'm not interested in them at all well we'll touch in more on gamut later but josh how did you feel when we come to meet fiddler he's going by strings now he he, we, he meets Korok, and uh later on he meets this whole other squad so what do you think of fiddler let's talk about both parts right now and his new he's 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 come to fight for the cause here on seven cities yeah, so I do want to first point out a funny uh, parallel between AJ and I. Uh, I read this chapter a few days ago, and I texted Peter, and I said, is it supposed to be super clear that this is Fiddler, like, from the get? And then yesterday, AJ messaged us all and was just like, the Fiddler reveal, guys! Could, and no, I, was, I said I felt really dumb that I didn't get the Fiddler reveal. Yeah, and I just thought it was funny. Um, here's what I'll say about everything to do with Fiddler so far is I'm very split based upon how Steve has written in other books. So, like, part of me goes, I don't give a fuck about any of these people. They yes. have to live at least two chapters before I learn their names and anything, and I'll go back and recall what they look like. But the other problem is, I didn't learn anything. I didn't, like, picker and blend. The entire time we read Memories of Ice, I was like, I don't care about them. They're not important. And then they're incredibly important and live through the end. And I probably should really go back and like review some baseline details about what they look like and stuff. Mm. So I like I don't know any of the names of the new Fiddler people uh, except. And the only thing I know about them is I don't like the his his lieutenant. Lieutenant Ronald. Yeah. Oh, I love seeing Stormy and Gessler in the gang, though. That was fun. Oh, so good. Yeah. Uh, really, though? Oh, yeah. yeah. They're going to go chill out, please. Okay. Um, I don't know. I, I will say uh, this is probably the I mean, we haven't seen tons of like in the Malazan army stuff, you know, but if if I could have picked any weird collection of people to be my eyes into the Malazan army, I think this will be cool. Also, big reveal or maybe not reveal that uh, Stormy and Gessler are also highly important people from before the weird shit. Is yeah, that, that not was, a reveal? It's not really a reveal. It was kind of hinted at in Deadhouse Gates, but not as explicitly. Yeah. So that was, I guess that was something. I just like Stormy Gessler a lot, you know? They're big bears. They're fun. What's the other one? What's the young guy's name? The new one? Oh, uh... <laughs> isn't, there a, isn't there another one of them that's golden and going to be a god and they like, they barely talk about him because he was so new? Yeah. What's, what's his fucking name? Truth. 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 I was blanking. Good job, guys. Proud of you, AJ. Thanks, AJ. That's why I have my book. Ah. <laughs> you bastard. Um, now, <laughs> India... You may you you may have been a little uh, cool on the gamut stuff, but I Correct. know for a whole book now you were thinking, what's going on with Lestara Yale? Where is she at? <laughs> what, what, what Honestly, any I welcome any female character. So I'm just gonna put in the clip from Deadhouse Gates where India said Lestart mattering. Who even are you? Lestara, Lestara, more like Lestart mattering, idiot. Yeah, yeah. let's stop talking. Oh, got her. Got him. (laughs) 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 Um, um, It's just, yeah, it was interesting to catch up with her and freaking Pearl. Pearl's such a bitch. I can't take him. (laughs) I feel, she's just like, I don't know. She's addicted to the drama, though. Like, I can't even feel bad for her because as soon as he comes back, she's like, oh. No, I don't want this. Leave me alone. And then she's like, "All right, yeah. What do you got for me? Like, let's go figure it out. What, what's what's the stuff?" So it is I don't know. The, it is like, just lip service to not wanting to. I'm not gonna go. Oh, hello, it's me. All right, you got me. You got. <laughs> don't, don't twist my arm. I'm coming. <laughs> so that was like. I mean, am I excited for? They're gonna go look for Fellison, right? Yeah, yeah. We learn that later. Oh mm-hmm. yes. Well, yeah, am yeah. I? I mean. I mean, I'm excited about it because, like, what's going to come of it? But I'm also like, I just feel like Pearl's going to kill a bunch of people for no reason. It's going to piss me off. And Lestar's <laughs> going to be like, what are you doing? Murder. And he's like, no, it's not murder. What do you mean murder? <laughs> I mean, to be so, fair, yeah, Lestar uh, kills a listen, fair amount of people, too. Yeah, Lestar's like part of the, the Red Blades, like, okay, so okay. far they exclusively kill people. She, yeah, but it was, she was just following orders. <laughs> and classically Whoa. that excuses all crimes that classic or that classic <laughs> no um, just kidding yeah it's super bad um <laughs> josh how did you feel to see Lestar and pearl we we learned that this duo is back together and they're off on this kind of they get this furtive quest to fi- go find fellison um i'll talk that i'll talk about the quest i i think that's very interesting uh i love that 
Her, like Pearl is so obsessed with finding the talents, you know, that's mm. like a cool, I don't know. I thought that was interesting. As far as the characters themselves, I'm, oh. I'm pretty cold. On, I'm pretty cold on them. Uh, I, I mean, don't care enough about Lestari. I feel like Lestari Yill is, uh, I don't know. I don't, I don't know anything about her and I feel no strong desire to learn about correct. her currently. Correct. Maybe that'll change, you know, but right now they're both very one dimensional. And I'm sure as almost every character in this book is, by the end, they'll be four-dimensional mm-hmm. and, you know. I feel like but... we have a small smile right now, Peter, which leads me to believe that at some point she will become quite relevant, which is going to piss me off when I think back to this episode when they're like, eh, fuck her. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So, uh, AJ, I'll, I'll, shoot, I'll shoot you this big fun question. <laughs> you know, okay. let's get a little frisky. So, in this chapter, we really meet the adjunct to Vor for the first time, you know, mm. she's been offhandedly mentioned or like seen through a little bit in Deadhouse Gates a little bit other times. But what's your first impression of Tavor when she hands out all the orders and when you see her in this chapter? Uh, I mean, she's very disinterested in a way. <laughs> um, she just seems very um, concerned about how other people are viewing her. So she tries to give off as little as possible. You know, oh. uh, like when they all come into the meeting, it was kind of just like, here's what's happening. Here we go. OK, now I'm going to meet in private with my best friends. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, and then even in there, there was like some, you know, sly, like nudge, nudge stuff with Pearl and whatnot. But even that was still pretty like deadpan, I felt. Do keep in mind that I only I only read the first half of Dead House Gates and Memories of Ice, and she's not m- mentioned a whole lot in Memories of Ice. So I didn't have like this big expectation of who she would be and stuff. Um, I feel like she's talked about a lot more in like Dead House Gates uh, and at least addressed in Gardens of the Moon. But for not knowing a lot about how she is like talked about, I feel like you talked about her exactly how the book has talked about her. Like caring about what people think. India, do you feel like you had a big expectation about her? No, I mean, I kind of took it a little differently, her like demeanor, because I feel like she is like she's just in a really weird not safe position um Mm. so it's so for her to give away any kind of emotion would be like she doesn't know who she can trust and she she doesn't even know Mm. like she's not very secure definitely So i think it makes sense that she's like withdrawn and like making decisions without really discussing them because she can't really she doesn't really know who to trust um i i think i kind of like her for that i'm I'm kind of excited i hope she has like a a more interesting character development because i'd love to find out a little more about her i i thought it was like cute though that she does want to find fellison i mean it's it's too little too late girlfriend you're not gonna like what you find but (laughs) you know at least she's not like a monster like well i mean she's kind of a monster but like at least she's redeemable and she's not as bad as that freaking thing from the last book that was totally redeemable so like i don't even care (laughs) can i can i hop in please of course i love the adjunct of war what? because because i hate fellison oh yeah. okay. i can't believe you still i, mean, hate I love tavor and fellison you don't have to pick one here's the thing Me tavor too. tavor comes in and she just does she mm-hmm. walks in and she goes boom 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 you're all three promoted no fanfare next and it's just like i, I don't know when she is in business mode, all I felt like everything she just chose to do was like precisely like so carefully thought out and brilliantly executed. I loved every like she just commands a room in a mm. way that Fellison can't because everyone looks at Fellison and goes, she has potential or she could kill us all <laughs> all the t- just because she's upset with us. I And like like, yes, Tavor is a little snippy with Gamut in a way, but like. They both definitely deeply respect, well, not only about respect, Gambit definitely, like, is very trusting of her versus, like, I feel like everything Fellison does, all the people under her are like, I don't, no, I don't know. I can't trust that right now. I don't know, I just, I love Tavor. I think what's interesting about using the phrase commands a room, because I agree, she commands a room, right? But I think her command is coming from how kind of withdrawn she is and what, yes. and what she is withholding. Yeah. You know, that's where the power is. So it's interesting to contrast her strength coming from holding back. I think that's a classic from all the Malazan leaders we've seen. That is the Malazan way. Like the way you're a great leader is holding in what they don't need to know and only giving them what they need to see right that second. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, Following the playbook. It is a Malazan way. And after she dispatches these orders, Gamut kind of thinks back to when he kind of helped send Bowdoin to protect Felicin. 
and we learn more about uh, Tavor's first attempt to protect her sister. Mm. India, what did you uh, what did you think of seeing this kind of little flashback to this first attempt? And did it make you think about the events of Deadhouse Gates any differently? Um, mm, no, no, I don't think so. I think I mean, do I? I just don't agree with her choice to have done it, regardless of her thinking that. Fully agree. Fully agree, Inge. <laughs> yeah, like even, even, and it's not like, I don't know who said it, but somebody, she was like, oh, well, I hope she's okay in there. And somebody was like, well, she definitely won't be, but like, let's hope she's resilient. And if that's not enough for you to be like, oh, maybe not. She's like 13. Like, I don't know. I disagree with that decision and I don't feel bad. And I think that she was really shitty for doing it and nothing's going to change that. Fully agree. And I think some of the worst shit is when I don't know who's I maybe Bowden or Gambit. They're like, well, as long as she's like cooperative with Bowden, yeah, and then like everything will be okay. And it's like, yeah, maybe, or you could not send her to a slave camp as a child. Do you know what I mean? I don't know, man. It's like I know there's like there was pressure in the Imperial capital, but I just don't think Tavor gets a pass in any way. You know, I, I totally yeah, no, I agree. There were there were options, and she she definitely picked by far the most brutal. I think of the options. So I don't know what they were, but like there had to be something. There had to be somewhere else. This poor girl could have went. Yeah, I I think it's a very uh, in the moment decision. Uh, just judging from the the portion in the book. Because Bowden says uh, there will be some uh, referring to harm coming to her. It cannot be helped. And Gamut's like, <laughs> Gamut's basically just like, are you, what the fuck are you talking about? Are you dumb? We could do something else. And then Bowden basically says it's either the mob or the mines. And in that moment, I think Gamut's just like, well. But I just I just like don't believe Bowden with that. I just think that's a fucking false choice, you know? Agreed. Yeah, but like, I, it yeah. feels like a very heated, like in the moment, like, oh shit, we need to make a decision. And I, I agree, it probably could have been not the mines, but just like somewhere that's not there. Um, do you wonder know. if she had to in order to cement her spot as adjunct? Well, yeah, that think- she felt she, after Perrin deserted and all that, it was it was to reaffirm Perrin, the house Perrin's loyalty to the Empress. That was yeah. what motivated that. But why uh, do we have, have we learned yet how she was chosen as the next adjunct? It has not been discussed. OK, thank you. <laughs> Very curious. <laughs> Now, uh, Josh, speaking of the Empress, you text a little bit about it, but we learn a lot more about uh, in this in this time about Admiral Nock, the Imperial history, Kellenved and Dancer and how the em- Empire was kind of founded and then how Lacine kind of broke away and we get all this old guard history. So this is my exact shit. I was in love. I, India is shaking her head, but yeah. this was... Don't even ask me. <laughs> I feel like I understand the books four times as well as I did before reading this. Like I feel like so well, many why, things why have locked in. Why do you feel that in. way? Yeah, please. So I have said from the get-go that it is a, a beautiful storytelling device that we're thrown into a history but we're not given we're not given a book, you know, any of the stuff before. Like we're thrown into a living world, but we don't get that history element. And I felt like this was the first time that I like have a clear image of what the fucking Malazan Empire is. You know how long it lasted, uh, how had the change in power. I feel like I, I I don't know. I feel like I have. I feel like in the time between where Gardens of the Moon began and Kalenved meeting Dancer, I feel like I have like a 80% grasp on now, whereas before I had like a 20% grasp. Interesting. And I'm sure there's tons I still don't know, but like I know the pivotal moments of like Surly, Nalacine, uh, I, I see where where she went. I see why the idea of Nappins uh, being just dis- like, I understand the disappearances a little bit more and why they're where they need to be, like the fucking keeper, assumedly. Uh, if that's not one of them, I, I'll eat my own shoe. Uh, you know, I don't know. I felt I felt really good, like in, in terms of my understanding of the the precipitatory events leading to book one of co- of contextualizing that history of how the empire came to be. Yes, yes, I enjoyed that history, and it's just a fun image, you know. And I uh, just them all around, you know, making a little empire out of that bar, you know, dead well, house. And it's something I've always struggled. I've struggled with since the first book. Is like when I hear empire, I don't think 30 years old you know i don't think has existed for however many years i know 30 was just a shot in the dark you know yeah it's not 30, like it but continue. like yeah, yeah but uh but i i now i understand like oh the the empire literally was created by 
these two guys who are in living memory. That is how long it has existed. That really also contextualizes how efficient the Malazan army is to have expanded the empire as much as they have in that short a time. Yeah, and uh, well, you... Yeah, they had help with the Logers Talana mass. It's a whole thing. Yes, but yes, we'll, yes, yes. We'll yes. get to it. Yeah. I mean, having an all powerful undead army, I guess, probably quickens some things. Yeah. Well, let's continue with chapter six. But before we did, uh, this is our first opportunity to thank those uh, people who have backed us on Patreon. And this is our first episode we're recording since that was released. And uh, there'll probably be more names than normal since it's our first time. And uh, everyone who came in. We want to thank them. It's it's uh, it's very nice, and everyone's been very kind and generous about it. Uh, we're going to shout out the 26 people that backed today. Uh, this is the first day that we had our Patreon, but uh, I guess, I, do we want to take it in shifts? Yeah. I want to do it. Start it off, India. Thank you to Erin, Kai, Jonas, Enrique, Ben, Captain Britton, Bjorn, Panny, Daniel, Alexandros, Vishnu Karthik, Nathan, Bill, Rick, Josh, not Baker, Brendan, Flo Flo, Patrick, PMDU, Anthony, Timothy, Jonathan, Bjorn, Use Chicken, and Brian. It's almost like a song, you know, you could do a little rhythm. And Alexander, we had, an, we had another person back while we were recording, so also Alexander. Thank you all. Thank you all so much. We love really, you. We are truly blown away by the amount of people who have contributed. And uh, for our August bonus episode, which will be this month, uh, we're going to do a follow-up role-playing episode, uh, more uh, Malazan role-playing. So that should be a lot of fun. We're looking forward cool. to making it for you. Thank you, everyone. Um, yeah. We'll be here all week. I'm sure we'll continue to plug and talk about the Patreon. So onward and upward to Chapter 6. Chapter 6. At Absalar's home on Itko Khan, Crocus waits for her as she mourns her father's death. They wonder what is next for the two of them, reflecting on a job they did together, killing a man for money. Crocus, now going by Cutter, reflects on Cotillion. Kalam rides in the Warren of Shadows. He spots strange pillars at the children treating with Manala. Cotillion approaches and questions the assassin. After trying to withdraw information from the god, Kalam agrees to help Cotillion to learn more about potential enemies. Crocus waits on the beach, and Cotillion then approaches the aspiring Cutter. Cotillion speaks to him about the Hound of Shadow, Ralic Nam, and Assassins. The god offers to bless Crocus's dagger, and though he refuses, Cutter agrees to help the patron of Assassins. Crocus goes to find Absalar. She has felt Cotillion's presence. The two are to go find an island. Onrak, a Talana Mass, is trapped in the nascent. He has been separated from his people and cannot reach out to his kin or escape the war. He wanders, considering the strange world and his people, the Logos Talana Mass. Onrak finds the chained Tisti Eater Troll Sangar. He bears a slash on his face to mark him as a traitor. He has been in prison for a long time. Onrak drags him to find food, and they both identify themselves as clanless. Strange large catfish attack them, and they fight them off. They manage to eat them, and Troll speaks of the Tisti Eater's past. Onrak is hesitant to learn more. They travel together and find seven strange beasts cut in stone. Josh, at the end of Deadhouse Gates, there's this sequence where Shadow Throne kind of divvies out rewards almost, you know? Crocus and Absalar get to go to Absalar's home and at Kokan. Kalam gets this stuff and he goes there and uh, he goes into the Warren of Shadows. And we check in with some of these characters here in Chapter 6, right? First, we meet Crocus and Absalar as they have gone back to Itkokan, and we learn that they went to uh, an alley and they had to get some money. So they killed this man, returned to Absalar's village where her father dies, and we meet them kind of lost and confused what to do. How did you feel about checking in with these two characters? I actually really enjoyed uh, popping in with them. Uh, I've gone on the record that I don't enjoy Crocus. 
but I currently very much enjoy uh, Cutter because uh, if I don't know if you guys have seen or read Kick Ass, uh, but he mm. has very strong vibes of the main character uh, who just is like, I mean, he, his name's Cutter and he's gotten real good with daggers. <laughs> and I just I but I like I don't think he's got it in him. Like, I, I don't know. And it's really funny. I, everything about him going by that name is too much for me. The reason I love Crocus, he's he like this chapter. I love so much and Crocus character. I adore, you know, yeah. and maybe it's just because I am a somewhat confused, young, sad person, oh, you know, okay. but Crocus has I feel so bad for him. This young this young boy truly has no clue what he should be doing. Oh, no. You know what I mean? Yeah. He's just sitting around in this, like, he left Arugistan, went on a boat, followed this girl, mm -hmm. and now they're back in her hometown, and he, like, killed a person, and is now like, I don't know, she likes me, I guess I'm a murderer now. Yeah. You know, like, what is he doing with I, his life, I, young man? I think it's perfect. Um, And I do also, I want to say that my favorite thing about this entire chapter is Crocus is just done with anybody and their shit. And nothing exemplifies that more than a god being like, you trying to do this? And him being like, well, I mean, let's bargain. And then just, and but like, he's not trying to get anything out of it, you know? I don't know. Their conversation is him just flagrantly being like, I could not give less of a shit about you, even though I guess you're my patron. I, I love he just that doesn't, He just doesn't know what to do or anything, you know? Yeah. Also, I'd forgotten how much I enjoyed that he got rid of his coin. And uh, I really yeah. enjoy his refusal to to have his, his blades blessed. I think that's great. India, how did you feel about checking in with Crocus and Absalar on Ed Kokan? You know, I don't think that Crocus, a.k.a. Cutter, is being very genuine and true to himself here. I think he is just a very confused, sad little boy and is just like, well, I like this girl and she's a psycho. So, same. <laughs> like, Ab Absalar's nice, but he's definitely... Is she, though? Mm. She's, like, not really... Like, who is she at this point, you know? Like, she, like, can't really Great have question. emotions at this point, I feel, because, like, I mean, I guess she does, but, like, everything just, you know, has to be a little more tempered because she's had some serious trauma in that little head of hers. So, you know, she's just not the woman that she was when they met, and... Crocus is just looking for love in all the wrong places. My takeaway. No. I hope yeah. that his story gets more interesting, though. I mean, I, I'm so sick of all these freaking duos, you know? It's a lot of pairs so far. Like, okay. A lot like, of duos. Every, there's just so many freaking duos, and they are the least interesting by far. Mad disagree, but they are going off to an island. Any thoughts about, like, why is Cotillion set? What's, like, what's the goal? Do you guys have any, any thoughts? Did he say which island? I can't remember. No. Just an island? I mean, are they going to go to Malaz Island? That'd be something, I guess. I don't know anything about islands. I have no thoughts about where they're going. But I do like that Cutter has the uh, has the ability to call on that cute little dog whenever he wants. <gasps> oh, oh, my yeah, God. He he was, yeah, I forgot he gets the dog. That's pretty good. Two two dogs, two dogs, two? right? He meets no, two, I think but he only one. can. I think it was actually. You can blind. blind. He yeah. likes blind. Yeah, blind seems blind. cool. He make blind makes him feel calm, which is adorable. Just a fan of the pets, He's you know. It's a dangerous woman. What it is. <laughs> I gotta tell you guys, I think the dogs are some of the most interesting characters in this whole series. Really? I hope we find. I mean, like. I fully could see them being just dogs because Steve was just like, they could all have personality. Sure. This one's called gear. That's very up Steve's alley. But I could also see all of them being reincarnations of it, like hyper critically important people from the past. And Ooh, just like, we God. don't know that till the end. But like, I don't know. Either way, I would love it. I'd love if Steve was like, and this one's named Blind and this one's named like, that's so good to me. I think there was a really interesting uh, part at the very beginning of chapter six when crocus is just thinking about what it means to like be in love with absalar or whatever and thinking exactly. about cotillion and and ascendancy and stuff uh and he says but it seemed to him to ascend was also to surrender oh was that it, was great was it not a mortal's fate then to embrace life itself as one would a lover life with all its fraught momentary fragility and could life not mm. be called a mortal's first lover a lover whose embrace was then rejected in the fiery crucible of ascendancy oh it's a very good that's so good, good. Very good. I highlighted a similar thing about embracing life as a lover, yeah. which is uh, it's wonderful and interesting. And I think it's especially a contrast to uh, what could be given up by ascending. And then also, as you said, about in his current moment relating to Absalar right. and what it means to love and what it means to live. You know, I think it's a poignant passage. And it's great. That's why I love this. I loved him being sad on the beach. <laughs> you know, aren't we all just sad on the beach? <clears throat> on Tuesdays. Um, Wait, did he also say that Absalar is ascending, or he, so he thinks? 
Did we all know that already? Is that did I read that wrong? Uh, I think she is slowly ascending. Yeah, I, I think he like was just been, assuming based on her it's, her journey. I feel like there's hints that like she's gonna do it. I guess I feel like her choosing the fucking name of Absalar right kind of set her on that path. So India, we then go into the Warren of Shadows where we check in with Kalam. And uh, he has his own little conversation with Cotillion. We learn about Kalam's, uh, what's, what he's been up to in the interceding time. How did you feel about checking in with this? I love it. I love it. I love that he is now a suburban dad with 13,000 children. <laughs> um, so many fucking kids. It's fantastic. I thought that was interesting, kind of random. I, I forget about these little children that they're now raising to be an army, but I don't really know. Like, what? I wonder, well... Are they alive is my first question at this point. Or are they like shadow? Yeah, they're alive. Okay. Wow. So Where, what, what do you think Cotillion's... What do you think Cotillion's game is? something up crazy. And I don't know what it is. And I don't know why it is. But he has, he has, he has a lot of different little things going on. Um, I think having Kalam in his corner right now is going to be very... It's going to be a power move. Um, I don't know. I just... I, I can't fathom what they're doing. And... Also, what happened with him in Manala? She's there. I do think she, I do think she gets short shrift, you know, and I don't I don't I do think it's pretty offhanded. He's just like marital problems. Anyway, you should go on a quest, yeah. you know? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Like is he mad that she's teaching these children how to be like adept at life or what? I think it's implied she is mad at him, but it, it's really I don't know. It's 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 referred to offhandedly. I I don't so know. We the never details. find out. We never. You know. I I can't take it. But fine. Whatever. Um. I think it's interesting. It's gonna be great. Who knows what he's gonna do with these fighting children? Who knows what Kalam's gonna do? Um. They're gonna they're gonna take over. Uh. The world is my new plan. Bye, Lucian. You're out of here. Josh. Yes. We then go into the flooded Warren, where we check in with Troll from the prologue, and we meet Onrak, a Talani mass who is also trapped in this flooded Warren. How did you feel about meeting this new duo? Well, first and foremost, uh, Onrak will never replace Tool, my first and only <laughs> clanless Talani Mass love. So he can forget about that right now. See you. Uh, although he's kind of funny. I don't know. He's at least char- I like Onrak a little bit so far. Troll Sengar is just kind of there and sad, which I guess when you've been stuck in eternal solitude, like hung on a wall, you would be. So I guess that's forgivable. Do we know how long it's been? Fucking ages. A while, it's yeah. implied. Because, uh, India, when we start the book, this entire Warren, there is water, but it is not flooded to the point of it, exp- like, you know, being Having destroyed. Having and stuff, yeah. And it currently is now to the point of being destroyed. Uh, so, I don't know, I think I thought it was interesting. Um, I was sh- surprised. I don't know, actually, I got a really Karsa and Torvald Nam vibe from Onrak and Troll Sengar once Troll got his voice back. Because Onrak's like, I'm going to leave you here and die. And Troll's like, what if you didn't? And I talked to you about enemies. And Onrak's like, are you enemy? And it's like, an, I just love it all. It's very Karsa and Torvald again. So, mm, mm. I always love that kind of strong, silent type and then annoying, you know. It's a good one. There's a it's, there's a really good then, sorry there's just a really good passage when they meet <laughs> where Onrak's trying to find out why Troll is like chained there and he basically just says I'm plagued by the need to be truthful and then Onrak's, <laughs> Onrak's like oh I have my own curse curiosity and then he frees him <laughs> it's just like yeah sure why not yeah there we go I, I'm excited for this duo um I have to say I'm very curious I even texted Peter so I find it very curious that in this book there are very many sevens. You yeah, know? there's too many sevens. I texted Peter also because I was very confused about the seven dogs. Yeah, so there's seven dogs which are on the cover of this fucking book. So yeah. I, you, you'd imagine this is a pivotal thing we're about to see. There's also seven yeah, cities. So there's seven there's cities. Seven there's, seven, there's seven Tabor guides, <laughs> you know. There's too many sevens. Does yeah. Steve have a favorite number? And is it seven? <laughs> he got really into that Brad Pitt movie. Oh, my God. Um... So yeah, at the end, we, the, these big these big statues are on the cover of the book, and they know there's a, they sense something strange about them, and then there could be a gate out of the Warren past them. India, do you have any thoughts about these big mysterious beasts of stone? Which 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 person has the dogs? Shadow Throne, Attilia. Something to do with him. I'll tell you that much. That's all I got for you. Mm. That Two was my thought. Real. Because uh. Because we keep getting hints that like the the Shadow Warren is not just one place and maybe many small places. So I was wondering if this is like somehow connected to. But I don't I don't fucking know. Steve over here with his layers. I know. I'm like, ugh. 
<laughs> I too was like, ugh. Um, oh, <laughs> sorry. One one last thing. Uh, when Onrak is talking, no, sorry. When Troll is talking about uh, the Taste Eater and the Logros Talanamast fighting. He says, prior to that, your people fled from us at first sight. And then, apart from those who traveled the oceans with the with Thelomen Toblachai. Uh, yes, that Which was cool. makes my assumption, uh, in my head, makes my assumption that the the muddy current or whatever that was around Karsa's boat was, in fact, Talane Mass guiding his boat. Ooh. But I don't know. That was just something that I had thought about in the last section and feels like is a thing in my head. But Feels right. That's yeah. interesting. So that 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 reminds me, uh, how'd you guys feel? We get a little more information about the Tist Eater here. And Troll is the first Tist Eater we meet. Well, besides all the one that Karsis stabs. Yeah, he does kill many of them. <laughs> ah, yeah, that, that is true. That's true. But they don't. They don't count. He doesn't say, my name's Greg, they and they, they get don't stabbed count, in the chest. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, let's keep going to chapter seven. Chapter seven. In Reriku, Habora Ghost Hands collects flowers for tea. He thinks about delusions and the whirlwind when the child now called Felicin Younger joins him. They speak of Felicin's poetry, Corblo Dom's army, and the mages of the whirlwind. Shaik has banished Malak Rel to the chagrin of Corblo Dom. Habora goes to see Leoman, and they speak of Faith and the mage Bidithal, who has turned his attention to Felicin Younger. Haboric thinks Bidithal ought to be killed outright, but Leoman argues with him. Haboric goes off, and Karsa tells Leoman it's likely to find Shaikh. Haboric goes to a decrepit temple and finds Bidithal. Before entering, Loric emerges and warns Haboric about Bidithal. The Shadow Mage resides within, along with the amputated body of the still-living Silgar. Haboric enters and threatens Bidithal with death if he touches Felicin Younger. Bidithal brags about the warded temple. They speak briefly about Haboric's ghost hands, and then the ex-priest leaves. Karsa thinks on Haboric, and then of Felicin. Fearing that she is being used by the whirlwind goddess, that she may be leading those into battle, similar to as Karsa once had. He also thinks of Leoman and what the man is waiting for. Karsa arrives then at a grove of stone and finds Felicin. He speaks about friends, the whirlwind goddess, and of poetry. Haboric has visions of Jade and Fenir. He thinks more on these strange dreams, but tries to drink his tea to avoid the visions. He goes to Shaikh's command, where the mages Leoric, Bidithal, and Febril have gathered along with the renegade fist Corblo Dom and his mage chemist Rilo. They speak of the first hero Treach and Fenir, then of Dujak's campaign on Genabacus and of Whiskey Jack's death. Genos' name is mentioned, and Felicin freezes. Everybody continues to debate the strength of the inexperienced adjunct Tavor and whether the noble woman and her novice army will be a match to the whirlwind. Sheik abruptly dismisses everybody out, except for Haboric. Alone, then, Felicin cries out for her brother. Okay, Inge, we're finally back with the Whirlwind. We check in with the Rebellion on Seven Cities, starting with Haboric. He's collecting these flowers, and then he goes to speak with Leom and Karsa, and then later Bidithal. This is our first impression of the status of the Rebellion on Seven Cities. So how'd you feel checking in with Haboric and then seeing what this rebel army looks like? Um, so Haboric, to me, is kind of annoying um, because... How dare you? I know. Hear me out. I feel like him and Felicin's love-hate relationship is just so... It it just carries on. It carries on. So in this, he's like, yeah, like, I don't know. I'm like, what are we doing here? This is a mess, blah, blah, blah. She's such a brat. But then at the end, he's like holding her while she cries like, oh, my sweet child. So I'm just like over that. That's first of all. Second of all, they look to be in a pretty shitty shape right now. They... It seems like quite disorganized um a little bit chaotic really uh in a uh well with that whole guy whose name starts with a b that's really also quite disturbing bitathol 
so it, and and not and then all of that and then nobody really seems to be like united in any like I don't really know like what doing together like they all seem probably likely most likely to have their own separate agendas under the guise of this whirlwind thing so I don't know I'm kind of interested in seeing like what will happen when there is conflict and how everyone um individually is going to react to that and Corbolo Dom is blue which is news to me. Yes. And that's it. Napping. Josh, how did you feel about finding Haboric and also the state of the rebel army? Um, well, I, I, I actually started this chapter very cold. I like really <laughs> didn't. I, I, I've said before that I think that, uh, the, the desert setting just is it, like it ingrains itself into every part of this, this, chapter for me i think well steve does a great job that's, of making you feel that's what i'm saying like i felt shitty like as soon as i got in there i felt shitty uh like i felt haboric's just like need for dreamless sleep and that that like was weighing on me the whole time like i felt so bad for this dude but also like there's so many things he did in the second book and is still doing that i'm like dude fucking i i want to have pity for you i want to empathize with you so bad stop doing shitty dumb exactly. things like exactly that that it's just it's very hard it's very hard for me to get into his head what, and empathize. what specifically are you calling shitty and dumb i think he is too convinced that he's the smartest man in the room in any fucking room he walks into and I I, I don't know. It's it, and and I'd say the the prime example is him talking with Toblakai and Leoman because I think they're mm. his only allies basically in this camp because Felicin's too quick to just turn like a like you know on the drop of a dime could be, hate him again and I feel like Toblakai and Leoman are very like stable uh they don't want to have sex with children and yeah. uh we don't think that they could possibly be scheming overlord high mages you know. I do think you make a good point there in that I do think in that conversation with Leoman and Toblakai, uh, Karsa, you know, you, you can say what you want about Leoman and Karsa, but they're like, like, they're just as smart as Haboric. Yes. And he definitely is talking down to oh, them. Yeah. Or at least he like isn't giving them the respect of an equal. It, it drives me crazy. That that may be pretty. And granted, I think I have a much different perspective on that scene after, you know, book one of this one. Now that I like see Toblakai as a character that I like understand and really see where they're coming from. If he trusts Leoman, then there's a part of me as a reader that wants to trust Leoman as well. And so in the second book, I didn't really care when Haboric was mean to them, but now I, now it really grates me. Well, let's check in on that, Josh. How are you feeling? We see more about it. How do you, how are you feeling about Leoman right now? Cause I feel like he is a character who we saw in book two. We haven't really talked about yeah. And now we, we, we know him again, kind of through Karsa's eyes and we see him here talking to Haboric. You know, I actually was kind of annoyed with like his... So, okay, at the end of book two, it's not that he is like not... He was just really, really close with Shaikh Elder. And, yes, correct? And so mm-hmm. he doesn't take to... Is it? Is it like he questions Felicin on the way in, right? Enough to the point that he kind of loses some favor with her? I thought he didn't. Yeah, I think... What? I, I think... I think some says something about his heart being bereft of fate. Yeah. Faith? Yeah. There's an exact line it's, I forget. It's good. But so, I don't know. So I, I was... At first, I actually fully believed that he was just, like, getting high all the time and was just giving up. I, I actually was not... When they later say that, like, no one actually ever sees him do it, uh, I was just like, oh, that's... Oh, I didn't see that coming, actually. That's that's cool. Um, so I don't really know. He's hard to put a finger on. Um, obviously, he's the re- only reason Karsa is alive. Uh, he, I don't know. He, he's a very interesting character. I would say he's one of the characters I'm most interested to learn more about. India, it goes without saying, we go and meet the quite uh, despicable Bidithal in his uh, dark, evil lair. Yeah, yeah. Ah, and and I use the word evil very pointedly, you know, <laughs> not a word I bandy about. But so uh, any impressions or thoughts about uh, Bidithal and why we're keeping him around and, and, and this this he this mage who is a part of the rebellion. Yeah, There's no doubt in my mind that he has to be like some kind of crazy, strong, like magical being that's like really useful, um, which I kind of got just because like. 
who's really that cocky that they don't even turn around when somebody like walks into their home and they just like remain doing what they're doing even though they like I don't know I just felt like he knew he's just a weird guy he's very overconfident I feel and I think that I don't know what 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 he brings to the table that they'd keep him around or that he'd even feel like why he's even still here knowing that he's like you know Mm-hmm. an evil character so i have a feeling maybe i don't know we, we got to learn a little bit about who he is before because i don't know i feel like he has to he, there has to be some reason they can't just he, he wouldn't just be there to be there and he also seems like yeah you don't you don't want to try that like when um he's like you could try to kill me many have and i'm sure many will after you so i don't know he seems kind of like you know fuerte strong scary i also completely forgot i'll cop to that at the end of chapter four i completely forgot about the silgar plotline and what happens to this character however seeing him again in this chapter it all instantly snapped <laughs> back into memory you know i all recall this whole thing now so josh how'd you feel about seeing silgar now chilling out in this terrible pain for <laughs> chilling out is a rough. generous phrase <laughs> it's a little rough i would say yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, I, th- I, I just think, wanted to shout it out. You yeah, know? I think Carson should just kill him. You like, know, that'd be probably a good choice. Little things. Mm-hmm. Yuck. So then, uh, Josh Carson goes, and uh, he, th- he, we get his perspective, kind of on the status of the rebel army and uh, Leoman and uh, the whirlwind goddess. And then he goes and talks with Felison, and we get a chance to see her. So how'd you feel about seeing Carsa here? And then how'd you feel about seeing Felicin from the eyes of Carsa Orlon? Uh, it's the first time in a long time that I didn't immediately dislike her. Uh, I mm. enjoyed their oh. scene together. I thought it was nice. Josh likes uh, Felicin behind Carsa's eyes. Yeah, it's just because Carsa's too nice and naive to understand that she's the pits. In a world <laughs> where Carsa is too nice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, nice is not the right word. Where are they that there were all those snakes and stuff? I was trying to understand. Just nearby, but like... They're in the encampment. There's like a garden of stones and Karsa's like carving junk in them and Mm -hmm. a bunch of snakes, I guess. It was really nice that he carved one of of, uh, his companions. (laughs) That that, uh, fucking got me. That thanks to his actions are dead, you know. It's like, I I gotta tell you, chapter one, (laughs) Karsa, I don't think understood remorse. So he's really come a long way. Yeah. Or even green. India, how did you feel about checking in with Felicin here? And also, Carsa talks about fearing for Felicin and whether she's being used and worrying about her. So do you share any of those fears? And how did you feel checking in with Felicin? Um, always love Felicin. It, it's always a joy to read her. Um, I don't really know. I have no freaking idea what is going on with this grouping. There are so many stronger, like people and strong people that are around her i'm just confused as to i just don't know i don't i literally i don't know i feel like she what decisions really has she even made yet and also we haven't really seen any conflict so i can't really i don't really have any anything to base it off of i feel like if she's being used and by who and what they're planning on doing it's just like way too soon for me to make that call i think i think steve does such a good job and it's i think what that's why felison's story shines so bright in dead out skates to me in that you know when she takes the title of shaikh reborn you know mm-hmm. it is to me it's a very satisfying moment it's like a moment of empowerment you know it's like a moment of actualization. She's coming into her own in a way, you know? And then when you're outside of her character, you know, and when you're not in her own shoes feeling her emotions, you look back at it from the outside perspective, from her context of being this stranger, being drawn into this army, being given this huge position, you know, and being dawned this power by the whirlwind goddess, you know, it, 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 it puts it in such a different context. And I think it speaks to how powerful it is that when you read it from her perspective, it's such a different experience than when you're looking at it from Carsa or an outside perspective, because you're right experiencing it from her point of view. Yeah, I definitely think when it was from her point of view, it felt a lot more empowering. Ooh, my cat just attacked the other one. My apologies. Um, yeah, it sounded a lot more empowering. They sounded, she sounded, you know, just very in charge, at peace, whatever, um, all-knowing. But everybody else, I feel, when they're talking about her, is just like, oh my stop. God. Damn. You're so annoying. <laughs> stop. <laughs> um, sorry. 
Sorry. Assert yourself, um, India. Assert yourself. Yeah. It's so bad. I don't even remember what I was saying. But either way, the people looking at it, looking at her through other people's eyes, it just seems as though she's, you know, she's not it. She ain't it, is what it seems like. And nobody is confident in her abilities. So you know what? Bellison's going to shine through, as she always does, and she's going to crush it. Following up with my next question, does everybody know that her and Tavor are sisters? Ooh, that's a good question. No. They don't no. even know. Do they even know that her name is originally Felicin? Because she shows up and she's like, I'm Shaik, right? Well, she named the, the one young girl Felicin Younger and kind of adopted this child. But outside of that, mm. I think she mostly goes by Shaik. Cool, cool. Yeah, that makes. Yeah. So I, oof, it'd be pretty shitty if they all found out, huh? <laughs> what would that mean, huh? Yeah. I wonder. The plot thickens. <laughs> so, Josh, Haborik has some visions uh, that he is burdened by. And then. He goes, and in almost like a parallel of the Tavor sequence, he, she goes to her own command meeting, and there are the mages, there's Corblodom and Camisrilo, and they talk about the events of Memories of Ice. Mm-hmm. They talk about Tavor, and sh- they kind of check in with the whole situation. So, uh, and then there's the kind of ending tag we'll talk about separately. So how'd you feel about seeing, uh, you know, seeing this command room and getting all of this information from the perspective of this tent of rebel leaders? Uh... I, my heart was broken when they were just so happy about all the people who died. Because so I was like, yeah. they're they beautiful souls and they didn't <laughs> deserve this. So I was very upset by that. Um, I do believe Felicent has her work cut out for her uh, compared to Tavor. Because like, it's just an example of like, you know, Tavor being groomed for her leadership role. You know, like she just sets meetings and appointments and she says what she has to say and she goes... And Felicent doesn't get any of those advantages. You know, she's just kind of thrown into this command. And, like, can you imagine being in a room with, like, that many people who all believe they are, like, the most... Like, they all believe in Shaikh, however much we believe that they do. But, like, you know that secretly all of them are like, I'm the real leader of this, and trying to just worm their way into everything. I, I could not... I, that would be, that'd be tough for anybody to try and command, so... And, and it's worth noting, uh, we, we skimmed over earlier, uh, Shaikh uh, made the decision to excise Malik Rel from the camp. Yes, yes. Uh, so he is gone. Right. Um, I, but, I mean, but the whole time, I was, it's just, it was overwhelming. And the number of people that you had to like just meet in that one moment, it, it was a lot. Um, it did a good job of like showing just how fractured in some ways it feels like this army of rebellion is. Absolutely. I think it does a great job of, n- not only were told that, in meetings like this, you really see firsthand oh, yeah. the fracturing you're talking about. India, how'd you feel at the very end? Felicin hears about Perrin being, uh, Ganois being alive, and she misses her brother. I loved it. I live for Felicin showing emotions and her and Haboric being besties. I don't know what it means. No idea. Couldn't tell you. I have no idea how these stories are going to come together, but I really hope that if they do find each other, it's a positive storyline. Um, and not, you know, him trying to kill her because she's Shike reborn. But yeah, that was really cute. It's I really I just wish that her and Habora could always just be like that, you know? Like why can't they always just be supporting each other instead of arguing all the time? It's like just freaking get it together, guys. Great <laughs> ending. Loved it, needed it, because I couldn't take the, you know them not being besties yeah i also loved the parallel steve uses similar language about her being like a child you know like of when Bowden dies you know of her collapsing into a bark arms. and uh i just think it's an interesting to re uh to retouch on that metaphor of having exterior armor and then kind of having more naive younger more intimate version of yourself within don't we all um yeah i think it is yeah i think it's used a lot right aj yes power of the levels how are the levels? <laughs> the levels are good. Um, AJ, how are you feeling right now about the rebellion in contrast to Adjunct Tavor's army? You know, because we start out chapter five, we meet Tavor mm. and the Malazans, and now we meet, we check in with Shaik and we check in with the rebels. Yeah. So where are you at? Um, I think, I don't remember which one of you said it, India and Josh, but one of you said that they just, you realize how like unprepared they are. Uh, or just like how broken apart the rebellion mm-hmm. seems. I very much feel that they are just kind of like, oh, we have all this information, but like, I don't know. Also, we're kind of just in the middle of the desert. <laughs> it's just like, I don't know. The the Tavor's army seems way more 
of like a proper military, I guess. Whereas the rebellion, I mean, I guess that is kind of the definition of like what a rebellion kind of is, is like a collection of people coming together. But like it just that is what it feels like, despite like it seems like they have all these very powerful people on the side of Shaikh and stuff, but it doesn't feel like they're being managed super well. Mm-hmm. And it just feels it, it feels like there is a child leading them, which like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I I think it all is going to depend on like like a big they're making a big deal right now about how the Malazan army, like the actual troops are fresh and untested. Right. Mm-hmm. But I feel like and I feel like it's going to come down to can they maintain their level, like the level of discipline that like if they can stay disciplined, maintain their ranks survive in the desert i think they're Mm -hmm. gonna fucking win no doubt it's just a matter of if they can do that you know raw and untested yeah i don't know i i i agree but i also feel like they do have this big desert god on their side you know so like it's uh, true it's true (laughs) you know it could go pretty south for the for the empire pretty quick i think um before we before we wrap up this chapter can i just read this final paragraph because it's please it's so so good she wept for a long long time and he held her tight unmoving as solid as he could manage and each time the vision of his fallen god rose before his mind's eye he ruthlessly drove it back down the child in his arms for child she was once more cried in nothing other than the throes of salvation. She was no longer alone, no longer alone with only her hated sister to taint the family's blood. For that, for the need his presence answered, his own grief would wait. I just feel like it's a really good moment for Haboric also, uh, just like internally and stuff and just, I don't know. It's, it's, it's almost like Steve's really, really, really good at writing. Yeah. I think the most interesting word choice he uses there is salvation. Yeah. Right. Touch back on the interior interiority of it is because I think in that passage, he's saying she is finding salvation through connecting with emotion and connecting with uh, her inner feelings and, and, and like kind of opening up that armor, you know? Yeah. And I think so. that kind of speaks to India, what you were saying about her never, you know, not really revealing her emotions and stuff is like she wasn't doing that because she didn't feel like she had a reason to. Right. And now that parent is like alive, you know, she feels like that part of her can also still survive, you know? Well, that she can live almost in a way. Right. You that know? She, yeah. That she that that she can be Felicin, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Well, that'll that'll be all for us this week. As always, we're 10 Very Big Books on Twitter and Gmail. Let us know what you think of the show. Uh, And uh, before we go, do we have any predictions for going forward now that for the most part, we've checked in with most of the people from Dead House Gates? We literally have. They're literally all in different places and their stories (laughs) have literally i have i couldn't even tell you how they're gonna meet but here's my prediction they all will meet Um, that's a cold take that's not i think (laughs) (laughs) okay josh do you got any any predictions for what's going to happen to these all these new characters not uh, not new returning i was gonna guess that we're gonna see mapo and acarium that was gonna be my guess all right i feel like they gotta publish somewhere do you have any fun, fun, hot predictions? Um, not about these characters specifically, but I was thinking about the the Tyst Eater stuff that we got. Mm. And I was thinking maybe we'll get some insight into the uh, city that Lady Envy walked through <gasps> on her way to Coral in the last book. Right. Was that a Tyst Eater city? Uh, I know uh, that was not a Tyst Eater city, but well, we right. do. There is a dead Tyst Eater in the river that the bridge burners yeah. find. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. So I think I think maybe we'll get a, a, a throwback to, to Memories of Ice, maybe. I would like that. Just a quick know. other thing. I do love that when they're... I do love when the Rebel Army's talking about the events of Memories of Ice. I love when the world's so big that in world, they're discussing things we read about secondhand. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. I don't know. It kind of makes you feel the, the scope of the world when they're like, yo, yeah. the word just got in from Getabacus. <laughs> they're fighting something called the Penny and Dominant, you know? Yeah. It's kind of fun. Yeah, it does. Yeah. yeah. 
I thought it was really something that really struck me was I knew the armies were big and stuff and like they lost a lot of people. But for them to say like, oh, Dujek's army of 10,000 lost 7,000 was like, holy shit. Yeah. Uh, to like give it a number battle. was like wild. Yeah. I'm very curious who their man on the inside is who like literally knew the names <laughs> yeah. of the bridge burners. Like that's got to be someone up there. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. That's All my right, prediction. Everybody. <laughs> Fuck you, India. I say come. You say passion. Come. Passion. 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 All right. I got to say, I think we're at the... All right. God bless. See ya. Hello, everybody. Producer AJ here. Now acutely aware of the fact that I just said goodbye on the show and then hello immediately after. Uh, thank you so much for listening to the third episode of our read-through of House of Chains. We recorded this episode a few days after launching our Patreon, and we were clearly blown away by the response. Uh, and that remains true now, nearly a month after its launch. Thank you to everybody who's backed the show so far. We're almost at $300 a month at the release of this episode. And geez, we love you all for that. Uh, thank you so much. Uh, if you'd like to check out our Patreon, you can visit the link in the show notes or head on over to patreon.com slash 10 very big books. There's a great public post on there that explains exactly how we want to use this money uh, that we're making from this. So if that interests you at all, head on over and give it a read. Of course, you can always tweet us your thoughts and feelings about the show at 10 very big books. You can also email us 10 very big books at gmail.com. You can also join our discord by heading to bit.ly slash VBB discord. That's capital V, capital B, capital B, capital D discord. The link will also be in the show notes. And as always, thank you so very much to Dan Gesserick for making our spectacular logo. You can follow him on Twitter at Dan Gesserick for a tweet that just says, I enjoy hockey, as if we didn't already know. Uh, and of course, the wonderful music in today's episode is by the one and only Amaranthin from their album Simulant Rain, which you can find along with their other music on bandcamp.com. Links to their pages will be in the show notes. And 10 Very Big Books will be back in two weeks on August 14th, talking about House of Chains, chapters 8, 9, 10, and 11. We'll talk to you then, and thank you so much for listening. Before we get started, you know, I was, uh, you know, I was watching K-pop before this when I was studying, you know. I really feel like our podcast should also aspire to be like a K-pop group where our distinguishing features are all were slightly different flavors of incredibly beautiful. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> I do agree with that already. Yeah, like I'm kind of like a smoldering beautiful, mm. and then Josh is like a cute beautiful. Oh, you know, oh, <laughs> and then like India is like also a cute beautiful, but kind of a different cute. I just, I just think it's nice how in K-pop groups everyone identifies as incredibly hot, yeah. but just like slightly different. You yeah. know, yeah, for sure, for sure. And AJ can have like blue hair. That's his thing. <laughs> I would have blue hair.